Welcome to the StrongTeams.com podcast, where we help leaders build strong teams. Teams built on empathy, understanding, and trust, where every team member feels valued and contributes at the highest level possible. Welcome to the StrongTeams.com podcast. My name is Steve Neesmith. And I'm Rodney Cox. And Rodney, we're starting off the year strong with yet another fantastic guest. Today, we have Brandon Smith on the podcast with us. Brandon is calling in from his headquarters there in Atlanta, Georgia. Brandon is also known as the workplace therapist. Uh, for 20 years, Brandon's coached executives to be better leaders through his consulting practice there in Atlanta, Georgia. He's also the host of the Workplace Therapist Show, and he's the author of the book titled the author versus editor dilemma, the leadership secret to unlocking your team, your time, and your impact. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Steve, Rodney, so glad to be here with you too. Well, we're grateful that you're here for sure, Brandon. And, and listen, I've always had a conflict with my editor because the way I type, I mean, write, and the way I speak is very different than the way they edit, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. But we need good editors. We need good editors in the world. And so at some point, we'll, we'll chat about the book because the best leaders are really helping others become really great authors. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I could not agree more. Without a great editor, um, nobody would read it, right? And so I'm, I'm grateful for all of our editors along the way. So listen, tell our listeners a little bit about what the workplace therapist does. I mean, um, you know, tell, tell, them, tell them what it is that you do. Tell it what your focus is, what your passion is, and, and uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about what you do. Great. So simply put, my passion is to eliminate all workplace dysfunction everywhere, forever. So gentlemen, I have a lot of job security. You do. As you know, all you got to do is put a group of people together and say, go achieve something. And inevitably, someone steps on someone's toes. Uh, someone throws an elbow and bloody someone's nose. We don't mean to do that, but we're, we're, we're people. We're, we're, we're kind of a messy bunch. Uh, and so what that ends up looking like in terms of my day-to-day -day life, uh, I wear a few hats. One of my hats is I'm an executive coach. So I work with leaders across all different walks of life on helping them become better leaders. Uh, second hat, I'll, I'll work with larger groups. So I've, I've taught historically at a couple universities and I teach classes all around leadership and workplace communication. Uh, and then the third hat is I'll actually work with teams. So it's, it's almost like couples counseling uh, for, for, for teams, helping them get better on how to understand each other uh, and how to, how to function better together. So I, I love what I do. No two days are alike uh, and, and, and no two people are alike. So it, it makes me always on my toes. That's awesome. You know, you use the word dysfunction. And uh, what we like to teach is, you know, conflict's inevitable. Like you, 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 we won't escape conflict to the day we walk into eternity and it's all resolved. But what we do with our conflict is really, really important. It either leads to great cooperation or great dysfunction. And I think that's really interesting, the word that you use dysfunction. And, and so talk just a little bit about that, the difference between dysfunction and conflict and some of the strategies that you might take to actually, you know, help individuals. Um, resolve that dysfunction? I think a great way to think about dysfunction is um, 
if the intent or spirit of the situation or relationship or the individual is to not be productive or collaborative, it's dysfunctional. They're trying to undermine something, resist something, prevent something, break down kind of uh, healthy walls and barriers. Uh, where it gets healthy, and this is where conflict comes in, is if the goal and intent is to improve. So, if so, of course we're going to have differences. We're we're different folks, but mm-hmm. if there's goal, the goal and intent is to get better. Well, then conflict's okay. We're we're just working through things. It, it's I've been married almost twenty five years. Uh, I, I've had my full and fair share of conflict at home. <laughs> I have a twenty one year old daughter and an eighteen year old son and a sixteen year old son. I've had my fair share of conflict with those three too, <laughs> but the goal is always the same. We love each other we're, and we're trying to work through it. And so in those cases, it's healthy. It becomes dysfunctional when the goal is, is not to work together or to build and grow something that is healthy. Yeah. So tell us more about your background. Like, had, did you come out of a really dysfunctional place in the organization that kind of birthed this in you or did it come out of your family relates? Where did, where did this thing get birthed in you? Probably a little bit of all those things, Rodney, but I'll <laughs> tell you kind of the, the, the spark that really set me on my career path. So I, I graduated with a communications degree. That was my undergraduate degree. And so like most good communication majors, I was unemployed at graduation. <laughs> wondering what, what am I going to do with this thing? And I took a job with a small retail store. It was a chain of retail stores. They had about 15 stores. Um, and the the founder of the store, um, her daughter married this guy who ultimately became my boss. So he's the son-in-law of the business. So they hire me and they say, Brandon, okay, we're so excited to have you here. You're going to be the assistant manager of one of these stores. So I show up on the first day of work. And, and, and my boss, the son-in-law of the business, greets me at the door. And he says, Brandon, so glad again to have you here. Uh, before you get started, I have a task for you. Waiting in the back room is the current assistant manager of the store, but he doesn't know you're coming. So your job's to go into the back room, fire him, and you get his job. Oh, my. So that was my first task on my first real full-time job. I'd had lots of other jobs before, but that was my first real full-time job. And that was my first task. And that was how my boss rolled. I mean, he would come into the store and he'd say, he'd love to do everything that we know leaders shouldn't do. He loved surprise visits to try and catch people doing the wrong thing. And he'd show up and as a surprise and he'd say, oh, I don't like what Sharon's wearing. Go fire her. And it was during the six months of that job, my first six months in that job, that, that first of all, I, I had to let go of more people than any other time in my career. And, and, and second, I, I really realized it was a kind of an aha moment for me that this is really what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to change workplaces. I wanted to make them healthier. We can't always choose the families we get. I mean, that's, that's, that's not really within our control, but we have a lot more control over our workplaces and those environments. And so I really wanted to help leaders get better at that. And then, so that set me off on a path um, back in those days, there wasn't such a thing as an executive coaching certificate. So I went off and pursued a clinical therapy degree, um, practiced in the clinical world for a number of years before I transitioned over into the work workplace and working world and uh, got my MBA and uh, the rest is history. Brandon, uh, you talk about being an executive coach, getting to, into that in the early days. What makes a good executive coach? So executive coaches are kind of funny animals. They're a lot like therapists. So a, a good therapist, if you want to have a good therapist or, or have that kind of that, 
that person that provides you that pastoral care or support, you want someone who listens really well. So you need to have that skill to really be be listen a listener and really kind of give that. Uh, there's a famous uh, therapist and psychologist uh, named Carl Rogers, and one of the principles he talked about of being a good therapist is unconditional positive regard, which is another fancy way of saying love. You have to have some element of caring for the folks you're with, and and, and truly respect them. So I think a good executive coach is a really good listener. They know how to, how to ask the right questions. But what makes a coach different than a therapist is therapists are not supposed to give you advice because they don't want to create a codependent relationship where now every time you got a life decision, you call up your therapist to, to tell you what to do. They, they don't want to do that. That's they're, they're, we're, we're trained not to do that. A coach, however, can give you advice. So it's all about listening, asking the right questions, and then knowing the right timing and the right kind of advice to give. That's really what makes a good coach. Sounds a lot like uh, a sports coach on the sidelines, meeting regularly with players, pulling out the best in them, then sending them back onto the field. Uh, uh, agreed completely. And what's funny about that, Steve, is so often when I'm talking to my clients as leaders, um, I, I will challenge them. I say, are you, are you trying to win an MVP or are you trying to build a world championship? Because those are two different things. Sometimes we find ourselves running plays and doing the work when when we probably should be on the sidelines, coaching folks, developing folks, and thinking more about the broader, longer-term strategy. Brandon, in your experience as an executive coach, what are you seeing today versus maybe 20 years ago? What are you seeing senior leaders struggle with the most these days? I'm sure there's a lot of things, but is there a, a trend that you see that's common that kind of creates challenges for senior leaders these days? Yes, yeah, Steve. So I'll give you two trends. So the first trend started about five or six years ago. And I actually published a book in 2020. And the title of the book, here, I'll hold it up here. The title of the book is The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World Where Everything is Urgent All the Time. And I think that's probably the first trend is that you name the workplace, for-profit, non-profit, uh, faith-based, corporate, it doesn't matter. You're going to find folks that say, it feels like everything is on fire around here. I often use the analogy, just like in the book, it's like hot sauce. It feels like hot sauce is poured on everything. And so that creates, using the right doses, hot sauce creates focus. I personally love hot sauce. But if everything coming out of our leadership kitchen is covered in the stuff, right? our appetizer is covered in hot sauce, our salad is drowning in hot sauce, our entree is just doused in hot sauce. Even the brownie at the end is, is just, you know, just drowning in hot sauce. And then of course, you know, my drink is, you know, iced, iced tea with uh, lots of hot sauce in it. Well, if that's going to be the case, I'm going to be overwhelmed. So using the right doses, it creates focus and prioritization overuse. It creates chaos and confusion and then ultimately burnout. And I think that's what we've really been dealing with the last six or seven, maybe even eight years is everybody seems to be in the middle of some kind of a transformation or under a lot of stress to change. Couple that then with coming out of the pandemic and it's become becoming harder and harder to find people and keep people. So I think that's another challenge for leaders. So not only does everything feel urgent, now I don't have anybody playing second base. Uh, I, I, no one's playing right field and, and somehow I've got to go out there and play a game. Um, and, and I think those two challenges make, make leadership today really, really tricky. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You use the word pandemic. I don't even like to use the word anymore, right? But it's like uh, coming out of the pandemic, there's no doubt, you know, that 
that the sense of urgency seems to has 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 escalated, especially in the church in the faith based space. You know, so what are you seeing? How you know how how are leaders today keeping teams motivated and keeping the morale high? Especially as a lot of organizations uh, and even church staffs have moved to more of a a, a remote you know environment. Could, do you have any advice for our listeners on that? Any trends that you're seeing? So let's go back in time a little bit. When things started going virtual in the beginning, we actually liked it. We said this is kind of nice. I live in Atlanta, so that meant I didn't have to do traffic in the morning and in the afternoon. Wow. I could just kind of roll out of bed, come on down to my office, make a cup of coffee, do some emails. It was beautiful. Uh, and, and then quickly, everyone realized that I wasn't commuting. So they started scheduling meetings during those times, right? <laughs> but, the, but, but the big thing that is costing us, and this is going to come back to the church world here quickly. The biggest thing that I'm hearing from every organization I'm working with is we don't have any connection. We're not connected. We're getting work done, but there's no like sense of connection. There's no sense of community. And, and, I, and I miss, I'm missing that. So I'm being asked to do a lot more team retreats you know, where the team's coming together for the first time in six months or a year. Well, when you take that and you start to expand that into faith-based, faith-based communities and churches, that becomes a real problem because it's so much about community. And whether that's the worship experience, sharing that together, or just being in community with each other. And so when, ever, when no one's in the office uh, and, and, and people are, are kind of worshiping remotely, there's something, there's something missing in that. And I think that's what a lot of churches and faith-based organizations are trying to navigate through. What's, what is the right mix of virtual? Yeah, yeah, maybe we don't need our church office open uh, on Fridays in the summertime, but but there could be value in us being together a little more often than we are right now. So, so I see that as a, a, a big question that, that, that those organizations are, are working through these days. Yeah. So what I'm really hearing you say is, is that, you know, the leader needs to prioritize the coming together, the, the not forsaking of the fellowship, not just on Sunday morning, but with the staff in which we're leading and we need community there just as much as we need community anywhere else. Amen. Absolutely. And so if you know, I try so hard in my life to make things simple. So this is my simplest take on leadership, at least as it sits here today. I may change it next week, but as it sits here today, when I think of a leader's job, it's, it's really two things. It's this hard and this simple. First, creating focus. Focus is priorities, goals, expectations. You know, what do we need to really be putting our effort and resources into? The team looks to the leader to do that. The second one is alignment, which is about culture and community and connection. What does it mean to be part of this, this either this company culture or this family? And, and how do we reinforce that? And so, Rodney, to your point, it, it, it's a lot easier to do both those things when, I'm, when we're with each other all day long. It's, it's a lot harder when we do a 30-minute Zoom meeting. Uh, it, it, something just gets lost in that. So I, I think that's, that's, that's why this matters so much for leaders, because if culture matters um, and community matters, we got to find more ways to get people together. That those are great words, uh, Brand, and I, I firmly believe that uh, when you foster healthy community on the leadership level, especially in a church, 
uh, you foster uh, a healthy community among your congregation. So I, I really appreciate that. Those thoughts. Uh, one, one of the things, uh, Brandon, that I've really appreciated about uh, your content, the podcast that you have, uh, is that uh, you like to talk about mentors and in uh, your own life, your professional and personal life. Uh, I'm just curious if you could tell our audience, tell us a little bit more about uh, any mentor relationships you have and some of the, the maybe some of the best advice you've gotten over the years from your mentor or mentors. So I only have a couple. So I've got one on the on the more of the teaching side, and her name is Marianne Glenn. She recently retired from Boston College. She was a tenured faculty member there, and she really helped me think about uh, my writing, my teaching, kind of that element. And then I've got more of a coaching mentor named Len Laritz, and Len was a, a clinical therapist like me, and then ended up going down the executive coaching path. Uh, and, and he's had the, of the two jobs he, uh, between Marianne and Len, Len's had the harder one. He's had to, he's had to do therapy on me to get, get me a little bit straightened up uh, and kind of going down, going down the paths. And Len, Len still serves as a great kind of uh, mentor and friend today. So when I run into problems, personal or professional, uh, just like all of us need someone to call, Len's the person I call uh, and he really helps me kind of work through it. So uh, as, as much as he's given me great nuggets I've held on to over the years, uh, he's still on speed dial for me today. Well, I, I think that's wonderful. I think especially our young leaders out there uh, need to hear about the importance of, uh, of finding and including mentors in your in your journey. I know today, Rodney and I have talked a lot about this in the past. There is so much leadership information out there in the digital age that we live in that it's easy to fool yourself into believing that as long as you're consuming all that leadership content all the time that you are preparing yourself um, well for leadership. But uh, that's just, we've learned over the years, that's really not the case. You've got to have mentor relationships in your life. And, uh, and uh, I, I, it's, it's, it, I, I can't live without mine and, and uh, appreciate hearing about yours. Yeah. You know, there's a guy by the name of Tim Elmore and he, he's for many years, he's been part of the John Maxwell family for many years. He's done a lot of work on generational uh, differences and studying generations focus a lot of millennials. Now he's looking at Gen Z and I saw him give a presentation on, around his new book and he talked about Gen Z and he said that the challenge with Gen Z is what they're looking for from mentors and even parents is they're not looking for someone to tell them what to do or how to do something. They can find a YouTube video on that. They can Google that. They're looking for someone that can help them make sense of the world, which I think is such a great way to say it. Because they can, they can get all the information they need, but they don't know how to make sense of it. And so they need someone that can help guide them in that way. Uh, and I think we all need people like that in our lives. And it doesn't have to be one size fits all. It's not like you only get to pick one mentor. You can have a couple for different parts of your life, which is also really fun. Yeah, and I think even the accountability piece that comes out of that, right? It's one thing to go watch that YouTube video to gain that knowledge, but then without any accountability, you know, who, who's going to keep you accountable to put that into action and to actually, um, you know, act on what you've learned and what you now know to be true. And so I think accountability is such a big part of, of mentors and coaches and, and a big role they, they play for sure. 
you know, as we look at the different books that you've read that you've written, I, I know that you really have a, cl- a heart for team building and for uh, and for leadership development. You know, what what are some of the books that you might refer our audience to uh, that you think could be incredibly helpful to them? Maybe a few books that you've read along the way that's helped shape your leadership philosophy and your team building philosophy. Well, I think you know we can start with uh, Pat Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of the Team. Uh, that's kind of a classic. It's a great way to kind of look at teams and what's working, what's not working. I think uh, another classic would be Jim Collins, Good to Great. Um, he actually wrote a book before that, that that's supposed to go after Good to Great, if you're following my logic here, and it's called Built to Last. So if you're looking for building long-standing really, um, organizations, organizations that are going to be around for a long time, Built to Last is really great around that. And then I would even recommend kind of sidestep here, um, some of Brene Brown's work around vulnerability and the power of vulnerability and how that is uh, a really important leadership skill set today to invite people in uh, versus acting like we've got all the answers. So it's, a, it's an, another form of humility, but, it, but a little more of an active way of, of inviting folks in, uh, I think is also a great, a great add to our, our, our leadership toolkit. So, so those are before I might start with. And Brandon, don't leave out uh, your books. Tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, about uh, what you've authored and uh, help help folks get to know you better through your books. Thanks, Steve. So uh, my my two books that I've got out so far, my most recent books, it's The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World Where Everything's Urgent All the Time. That really is designed to help readers understand and how to navigate urgency, both as a leader and how they use hot sauce properly, but also as a recipient of hot sauce, how do you deal with it when folks are trying to make everything in your life urgent? So that's the first book. The second book is my more recent book that I published last year. That is the author versus editor dilemma, the leadership secret to unlocking your team, your time and your impact. Um, and in short, the whole purpose of that book is at, it's for leaders and it's designed to help leaders understand what seat to sit in. And so to cut to the chase, whenever there's a dynamic between a leader and a direct report, in that dynamic, someone always has to sit in the author seat and someone always has to sit in the editor seat. Uh, and, and for leaders, uh, I want to make sure they're sitting in the editor seat with their teams 80% of the time and authoring only 20. And that makes perfect sense when you think about your all-time best team members and direct reports. They'd come to you and they'd say, hey, Rodney, there's a problem. Here's what I think we should do about it. I'd love to get your thoughts. They author a solution for you to react to. And, and you're not so effective ones. Well, they'll say, they'll say, hey, Rodney, there's a problem. What do you want me to do about it? And as soon as they throw their hands up and say, what do you want me to do about it? It sounds so innocent. But what they're really doing is now they're reeling you into that author seat. So now you're either telling them what to do or, you're, or you'll just say, hey, well, everything's urgent around here because everything's urgent all the time. Why don't I just take it over and do it myself? Uh, and so when you do that, then those folks don't, don't get the opportunity author and then they can sit in the editor seat and they can say, well, it's not my fault. It didn't work out. I'm just doing what, what Rodney told me to do. So it's really designed to make sure leaders are sitting in that right seat. So they're, they're working more on the business rather than in the business and they're developing their folks. They're, they're helping their folks practice their ownership initiative and critical thinking. So, so, so they're, they're getting better too. So it's kind of, they're, they're kind of elevating the whole, the whole team. That's the, that's the, the, the gist of the book. And I find it is so needed today. It doesn't matter what kind of leader I talk to. 
they, they find themselves slipping into that author seat a, a little more often than they want to. And it also results in a lot more time. They're spending a lot more time uh, uh, working than they, than they want to. So it's, it's about working uh, smarter rather than harder. So, Brandon, where can our audience pick up copies of these books? Where's the best place for them well, to go? Any, any kind of um, e-retailer is the easiest way. Uh, if, if you can get the, uh, the hot sauce principle in both paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Okay. And, and I, hopefully my voice isn't too boring. I, I, I read it. So, so you'll be listening to me. And then in author versus editor, same thing, paperback, Kindle, and the audiobook for Audible is just dropping this month. Uh, and it's also available on, on hardcover. So author editors got four different ways you can get it. So Amazon's probably your, your best uh, place to go, but you can also go to my website, the workplace therapist. Um, and, and you can, uh, get them from that, that as well. That's awesome. So I love to, to uh, always end our interviews with this question. You know, Brandon, what is one question that I shouldn't have asked you? Or is there any question I, I should have asked you during this interview uh, that I haven't asked you yet that you'd really like to, to speak to our audience about? I, I would say this. I would say this. So part of the challenge in the world we live in today, even more so true if we think about in the, in the church office world, okay? So we're working inside a church or faith-based organization. Uh, the challenge is figuring out healthy boundaries for all of us, figuring out those ways that we can love folks at the right distance and, and keep ourselves healthy and, and support others. Because it's so easy. If we don't have good boundaries, it's so easy to suffer from burnout um, or have feel on the other end, have people feel like we're, we're not as connected as, as we want to be. So I think, I think we're going through this constant iteration of, of figuring out how do we connect properly, but also maintain those, the, those healthy boundaries, which also means that we, we take time for rest for ourselves. Uh, I find a lot of leaders struggle with that, but, but finding that time to rest is really, really key. So we're, we're ready to, to give the best of ourselves to those that need us. Well, Brandon, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today. Every word that you've spoken, I know, will bring life to all of our listeners. And uh, to our listeners, just want to remind them that they can look you up at theworkplacetherapist.com. That's theworkplacetherapist.com. Once again, Brandon, thanks for being with us again today, and God bless. Rodney and Steve, it was an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Looking forward to future ones.